Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Father God, I just commit myself into your hands, Lord Jesus. I pray, Father, that your word will come with power and authority. I pray, Lord Jesus, for each of your children listening right now, even for those online. Father, that you will minister to them, that you will speak, that they will hear, that they will go deep down into their hearts, and that your truth will be revealed this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are now a couple of days away for Christmas. Amen? I can see everybody is actually, um, you know, excited about Christmas. There is a lot of frenzy going around, you know. We are all excited about it. True? I guess we are. I guess we are. But what is actually striking me is we seem to have various degrees of expectation for Christmas. Even as we sit down here, Christians do not necessarily prepare Christmas the same way. I mean, we have different preparations, different expectations. Um, and not to talk about even unbelievers who look at Christmas differently. Unbelievers who uh, sometimes believe that it's just a pagan feast and, you know, it's just an opportunity uh, for, um, you know, excessive spending, excessive parties, and excessive drinking. I tell you what, I was in a store yesterday, um, just getting some things, and um, there was um, a young fellow at the till, um, and then he was serving two elderly ladies, and the young fellow was making mistakes after mistake in terms of their bills. And then the lady got, what's happening? And he's like, uh, yes, sorry, ma'am, sorry, sorry. Uh, I'm not yet drunk. It's not Christmas yet. I'm not yet drunk. From Wednesday, you could actually say I'm drunk, but not right now. And um, it took me aback because I was like, wow, that's the justification for making mistake that the young fellow seemed to have. I'm not yet drunk. And then the lady said, okay, lucky you. And I'm like, lucky you. Well, I don't think I'm lucky to look at Christmas as an opportunity to be drinking excessively. No. Christmas for me should be something different. Christmas could be a time for travel, rest with family and everything, but I think there is nothing like remembering what the reason for Christmas is. And uh, permit me to say right now, as I stand before you, I believe that Christmas is all about Jesus Christ. Christmas is all about his birth. Amen? It's all about the manifestation of God's love to mankind via the birth of a Savior. That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas for me and for you, I believe, should symbolize the word that was made flesh and that came to dwell among us with humility and with purpose. So right now, I just want us to forget for the next 30 minutes, let's forget how much our purse may have suffered over the past few weeks in terms of the gifts we've bought. Let's just forget about whether or not Santa will come and visit us on Christmas Day. Let's forget how many bargains are available in the stores. Let's just forget about the last runnings we want to do immediately after service. You know, I think the store closed at 4 p.m. Let's just forget it for a moment. I want us to focus for the next 30 minutes on what God has to say. And I tell you what, many people sitting here today will think, you know, I've been on countless Christmas carol services. 
We sing thousands of songs year after year. We've heard thousands of Christmas sermons. It's all the same. Yes, we all know about the nativity. We all know about the shepherd. We all know about the wise men. We all know about the manger. We all know about Mary. We know about the angel Gabriel. We know about um, even, um, you know, Jesus Christ, the little baby. We know about him. But you see, God has something specific every single Christmas that he wants to remind us. So if we tune differently to not only the background of Christmas, but the true meaning, to go to the core and to go to the heart of God, I think we will get something today. Let's open our Bible to Luke 1. And the title of my message today is An Infusion of Hope. We'll be looking at Luke 1. I've titled that Infusion of Hope because I believe that's the way Christmas should be seen. You know, as much as you are excited about Christmas, the reality is many people will be lonely on Christmas Day. Many people will be moneyless on Christmas Day. Many people will be shying away from family gathering because of misunderstanding and broken homes. Many children will not have even something to just get as a Christmas present. And you have all these charities working around the world to try to provide a joy. Many people even will go to parties. Many people will go to family parties, will actually go to these parties thinking they are happy. But then they will not look deep inside to see whether they have joy. Around Christmas time, a significant number of people in this country jump on a rail track to kill themselves. Why? Because they've lost hope. That's also the reality or the hidden face of what Christmas has become. Because people do not understand there is a savior. People do not understand there is a hope in Christ Jesus. People do not see that hope that Christmas represents. They see Christmas as a commercial event. So please, I will remove the tag of Christmas and replace it with the birth of Jesus. Because that's what we should focus on. An infusion of hope. Luke 1, 26. And I will read from the New Living Translation, 26 to 38. I read. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how could this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in a sixth month. 
for the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. And then the angel left her. Amen. That's a scripture that we have read thousands of times. It's a scripture we are familiar with. Now, I have to go back to the genesis of the book of Luke because it is interesting to understand that Luke, certainly for the first two to three chapters, has a very specific background, not only about introducing and giving, um, you know, how Jesus Christ is going to come and the signs that were, um, you know, ahead of his birth, but I think it is also looking from a Luke perspective, one of the disciples of Jesus Christ, a recollection of the events to Theophilus, who was a governor at the time, to tell him that, oh, you know what? I want to introduce you to two key people. You know, we had John the Baptist and we had Jesus Christ, who are two prominent people in the ministry and days of Jesus Christ. I don't want you, Theophilus, to think that the events that you see and what people call as a commotion of people that are followers of Jesus Christ came from nowhere. They actually came from God. And that's where it started. So chapter one sets, chapter one sets up the scene nicely. Luke recalls that the events of John the Baptist and um, you know, Jesus Christ in terms of the interaction of the angel Gabriel with their parents. Um, and before verse 26, which we have just read, we know that God had already engineered the birth of John. He has engineered that birth because he has actually heard the prayers of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And he sends the angel Gabriel to speak to them. Now, it was necessary in the way the ministry of Jesus Christ worked out that John came before Jesus Christ. It was necessary because John had a specific ministry to go and ask people to repent and prepare the ways of the Lord. Today is the same message that John was saying that we are going every single first uh, Tuesday of the month to tell to the streets to the guys on the street or to tell to family or friends that, look, you know what, there is a savior. Let's prepare the way for him, for his coming back. From verse 26, we now see Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, coming into the focus. And she has a very interesting interaction with the angel Gabriel, God's messenger. So I want us to go through the very key highlight, scripture by scripture, uh, verse by verse, because there are things that we can extract for our focus and our expectation around Christmas. It's not just a nice story of a baby coming to birth, but it's a story of salvation coming to mankind. And therefore, we need to look at it with a different, um, a, a different um, eye and perspective. So if we look at verse 26, what it shows unto us, it is that God has a hand in the birth of Jesus Christ. Hooray! Oh, what's the news? That's not a breaking news because... We know that Jesus Christ is the son of God, right? But then that's the problem. Because many people from different religions today reject Jesus Christ as the son of God. And that's why you have so many divisive opinions and so many wars at times and so many arguments on who Jesus Christ is. But God has a hand in this because he sends his own son and that's one of the key pillars of Christianity. It is the pillar by which we stand that Jesus Christ came to this world for people like us, unworthy and dirty and disconnected from God's love because of sin. Now, 
God is the one who sent Gabriel. Another thing we need to look at here is it is not by accident. The timing at which God sent the angel Gabriel is the correct timing. Is the timing according to God's watch. No one else. You know, somebody said before, God does not say, oops, I've made it wrong. <laughs> oops, I've made a mistake. Oh, sorry, I didn't know. Why? Because he's the all-knowing God. We are the ones saying, oops, because we don't control the events. Things happen, and we make mistakes, and the first thing is, oops. We go and say sorry, but it means that we have been surprised by that. For God, there is no surprise. What is very uh, telling is from the time that Adam and Eve sinned against God, and God kicked out of the Garden of Eden, God had engineered the plan on how mankind could be coming back to him and be reconciled back to him. From the time of Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis, God, at that point, he said, guys, out of that garden, he said, I will bring you back. That's the mind of God. He cannot have that mind if he is not a God of love. He's not a God who is doing things without purpose. He knew that this day will happen. He knew the exact timing, he knew the exact second at which he will send Gabriel out. He knew the person that will be sending, he will be sending Gabriel to. So it is all according to God's plan. You know, people always tend to be philosophical about it. Anything happens for a reason. That's what we say. Yes. It happens for a reason. Divine encounters happen also for a reason, which is to fulfill the purpose of God. Amen? In verse 27, we say a couple of facts. We say, first of all, we can see there that Mary was a virgin. That's the first thing. Mary also is engaged. That's what we learn from verse 27. She's engaged to a man, as in she is not single. And we see the third information in that verse that She's engaged to a man who is from King David's descendants, which ultimately has connection with Abraham's descendants. Remember then that King David was called by God a man after his own heart. He's a man who had such faithfulness that it was only right from Jesus to come from that descendants. In Psalm 132 verse 11, it shows that there was a man, David was a man after God's heart. And God swore to David, actually, that he will keep a man on his throne. In Second Samuel seven sixteen, God says, Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secured forever. That's the way God swore to David. And Joseph is from that descendant. Let's look at verse 28. Verse 28 records that the Lord is with Mary. Now, many times in our decision-making, many times in our projects, many times we claim that God is with us wherever we go. We claim that God is with us whatever we do because we are Christians. Well, yes, we are Christians, i.e. God is with us, and he say, abide in me and I abide in you. But it's not every single thing that we do that is rubber stamped by the 
key approval of God. I always like to differentiate between the perfect will of God and the permissive will of God, which I keep on saying are two different things. It's not because we are Christian that whatever we do is according to God's watch and the perfect timing and the perfect will of God. The angels come and say, hey, the Lord is with you. Well, I'd like to hear that every time. As a Christian, I'd like to hear God telling me, I am with you. You know what I was telling to my brother Rob last time? I have decisions making about my job. Pastor Phil has decisions every single day on the direction of the church. What is right? What is wrong? What is godly? What is not godly? What is the perfect will of God versus, yes, God can allow, but it's not probably what he wants. God had wanted for Israel to cross the land. He didn't want them to cross that in so many years. It was a journey that was meant to be simple. It took so many years because they went aside. So God may want to take us somewhere, but because we are not in his perfect will, but permissive will, yes, he will, he will allow us to do these U-turns, but we might actually get time. And I think there's something that even encouraged me this morning when we are praying, and, and, and our sister Joe mentioned something, that sometimes we do things and then we, we, we just take God for granted without realizing we do. It is important as a Christian that our mind is always connected on what God wants for us. And then when we don't, it's important we go and repent. Because that's what keeps us aligned with God's perfect plan. Jesus Christ and the day of his birth were part of the perfect plan for, for, for humanity. Perfect plan of God for humanity. So, one of the things that we look at verse 28, when the angel said, the Lord is with you. He said, the Lord is with you. Mary is a poor woman. She's first of all a woman, but she's a poor woman. She's unlikely to be used by God for such a special purpose. Now, many of us at times feel unworthy. Many of us feel we are not up to scratch. Many of us feel that we are still dealing with a, a big bag, you know, this kind of burden that every time you walk, you go down and down. But that's not the way God looks at it. God can you look at you today, irrespective of your thinking of you being unworthy, and may say, I want to use you for that big task. No one is too far gone for you, God to use. or too. God wants to use everybody. It's for his kingdom. So all what we need to do is really to make ourselves available to God daily, not only on Christmas Day, not only because we want that uh, special Christmas present from God, but daily. And nobody is unworthy. God can use anybody. So you can be used by God. The question is, are you willing to be used by God? Mary is assured in the verse 30 that God is with her because she has indeed found favor with God. Now this should remind us that we cannot force, we cannot twist the end of God. Have you tried to do that? Have you tried, God, I just want this right now, I want this now in my own time. Have you tried? Have you had that targeted prayer just to get your way? You cannot twist the end of God. Because that's the kind of prayer that sometimes we say, we do pray, he doesn't go above the roof. <laughs> he stays in the roof. He doesn't even come into heaven. I don't know how many heavens there are. Maybe Pastor Phil can tell me. But he doesn't go beyond the roof. Not even of this church, of your room. He's just there. And you shout and you cry and you say, well, but yeah, because you want to twist his hand. Why? God sees your heart. Pray according to your heart. 
You see, God, we cannot twist his hand. And then if we find favor, remember it's because we obey from a pure heart. We need to obey God from a pure heart. That is so, so difficult. I tell you what is one of the most common challenges and most untold challenge uh, that Christians face every day. Obey from a pure heart. Sometimes we do obey out of coercion. Sometimes we do obey because, oh, if I don't do that, then I won't get that from God. We try to bargain with God every time. But from a pure heart, check your mind, check your thoughts, check, check your aspiration. And check this against the word of God. It's difficult. And then Gabriel went to Mary because God knew that she was also pure. She had a pure heart. She was pure physically because she, she was a virgin. She was pure morally and devoted to obedience to God. You can see in verse 34 that the Bible refers to her integrity. Because when somebody comes, she knows this, you know, divine being is an angel, but he tells her to a woman who is already betrothed, he tells her, look, you are going to carry a son. And she's like, well, he's not going to be for my husband, is he? So I'm a a virgin, and I'm also married already. That's her integrity. She could have probably said, oh, yeah, hooray, no problem, no consideration whatsoever from, from her status, only because she will get pregnant. But then she remembered that he was coming from God. God knew she was pure. God knew she was ready to obey. The obedience of Mary is one of the most telling stories. And that's why today she's talked about time after time after time after time. Because demonstrating that kind of obedience takes much more than a yes. It is a matter of the heart. It is a matter of readiness. It is not a matter of telling God about your own situation. And that's what is great about Mary. She was devoted to obey her Savior. Then Gabriel in verse 31 provides assurance to Mary about the child. She learns that he will be a boy. You know, sometimes we have to go and do scans to know the sex of the child. But God is already telling her, look, don't worry about, you know, whatever method you can have in that day to check the sex of the child, he will be a boy. You know what? Not what is funny. He's telling her, you know, Forget it. Don't worry about naming him. I've got a name for him. It's a name that was manifested in heaven and I give it to you. You call him Jesus. Go and tell any mother in this world, you haven't got a say in the naming of your child. See where she will send you. Right? Go and tell any mother, don't name your child. I give you the name. She will tell you where to go. (laughs) She is being told the child has to be called Jesus. It is interesting that... Verse 32 and 33. 32 and 33. We, we see them as really pillars of, of Christianity, another, other pillars of Christianity. Because it is explaining the view of who Jesus, the baby who is to come, who he really is. The son of the most high God. The only begotten son of the most high God. That's the child that she is to carry. Then... What is even striking me more, we say, the angel says, his kingdom will last forever. So he's an everlasting king. You, as a mere mortal, are going to conceive somebody who will never die. Now, is that not going to trouble your mind a little bit? He will have an earthly kingdom, yes. He will have an heavenly kingdom, sorry. But his kingdom will never die. His kingdom will never go. It will be everlasting. 
So that tells us Jesus is deity and he has a nature that is holy, sinless, spotless, undefiled, and pure. Amen. Verse 36 is interesting because in verse 36, Gabriel does something that is typically unusual. He gives a sign to Mary. He gives a sign to Mary. He implicitly tells her that she has the license to check and test the word that he's giving her by talking about her relative. Now, do you think Mary didn't know that her relative, she had a relative somewhere called Elizabeth who couldn't have a child for so many years? She knew. But the Holy Spirit is actually saying, you know what, I'm giving you news and I'm giving you a sign. Go and check if you want. But your relative is pregnant. Hooray! She didn't even think about that. The Holy Spirit then comes with accuracy. The, um, the angel comes with accuracy. He says she's six months pregnant. That's accuracy. Even when you go and do all these tests, you know, to find how, how many months, they always say around four to five weeks. Around six months to whatever it is. Okay? But the, the, the angel Gabriel comes and says exactly in a six months. And he gives us a sign because he wants her to be comfortable with the message that he has given to her. He does not want her to have any doubt. He knows she won't doubt, but he's saying, you know what? I'm happy for you to check. Why? Because she didn't even challenge the word that was coming to her. It's completely different from the response from Zechariah just earlier when Zechariah said, but my wife and I, we are old. My wife and I, my wife is barren. We cannot have children. How will that be? Whereas Mary also only said, I'm a virgin. And he said, you know what? This will happen. You have the license to check. In God giving signs, brethren, it is important that we understand a couple of things in there. God does not give sign to exonerate on belief that we may have towards his promises. So we know as Christians that God makes promises to us. He made promises to nations, to Israel, right? But for those with unbelief, there is never a sign. There is never a sign because, you see, this is akin to evil and sin. To be unbelieving towards God's promises is akin to sin and evil. And Matthew 16.4 says, Only an evil and adulterous generation wants a sign, but none will be given to it. None will be given that generation the kind of signs. Now, let's look at that. There is the same story, a name called Simeon, a bit further on Luke chapter 2, 34. Simeon is one, he was a godly man, a righteous man, but he's been asking, he knew the, the, the Messiah was coming, and all his prayer was based on, Lord, may you let me. In fact, the Holy Spirit had already ministered to him, you will see Christ. You will see Christ. Now, when Joseph and Mary went to dedicate Jesus Christ, later on, he's one of the people in the crowds, and comes to carry the little Jesus, and start praising God for what God has done. But then, he is saying something in Luke 2.34. He said, the child Jesus has been sent as a sign from God. He has been sent as a sign from God. Let's all remember that God, as I said, does not give sign to unbelievers, but to believers. He was believing and he saw that sign. He gives signs to people who seek after him, to people in their hearts are ready to obey him. 
God gives signs as a way to firm up and to strengthen the belief of truth for those that he's instructing. To show that he is there, refers. To show that his presence is with his children and to show that he is the one in control. No one else. And that's why he can give signs because anyway he's almighty. But also he gives a sign to make sure that the sign is a reward to those who obey him. Mark 16, 18, the Bible says, and this sign will follow those who believe. In the name of Jesus Christ, they will be able to cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. These are signs that follow those who obey. So there is obedience, the sign follow. There is disobedience and unbelief, there is no sign, because it's considered as being adulterous generation. But then, what we look into the next verse 37, we really come to understand a key principle of God. It's very short. We say, for the word of God will never fail. I.e., me, who have spoken that word, this word will go and come and accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. I, who have spoken that word, will make sure it happens because I'm faithful. Because I am God. And because my yes is yes and amen. It is settled in heaven. That's what Psalm 119.89 says. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. God was merciful and faithful to his promise that he made to his children. Luke 154 to 55 tells us that God remembers to be merciful. And 55 tells us, for he made these promises to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. So the God who makes the promise is so faithful to make these promises come good. The recipient of these promises, mankind, and we are not always sure that we are on the same wavelength with God. In fact, we are not even always sure of these promises. We always say, Lord, really? When? How? We are not even willing to align ourselves with the receipt of these promises. You know, for if the apostles had not gone to wait for God, they would not have received the Holy Spirit because Jesus Christ had already told them, go and wait for me there. You will see the Holy Spirit and you will receive the Holy Spirit if you are all together in that place. So there is a secret of obedience towards receiving the miracles, which... I will encourage you today. God may have spoken a word to you, but make sure you understand that not only you obey, but also you are ready to receive. Sometimes we close our hands and expect to receive something. We cannot close our hands. Have the hands open and then being in the position where we want to receive what God has said we will receive is what is going to foster that, that receipt of, of blessings. Verse 28. In verse 28 is Mary's response. She says, okay, God, thanks for choosing me. Thanks for blessing me. Thanks for telling me I've got no choice. Cheerio. See you later in nine months. That's Mary's promises. That's the way she responds. No, on a more serious note. All what she says is that she will never forget this word and the promises of God. That's what she's saying. Thank you, Lord. I will never forget it. 
It is important that now that we've dissected how this scripture is actually put together, we understand the reality that are against God's expectation for us. We do not forget God's promises. We should be able to stand strong and act in faith the same way Mary acted. She acted in faith. She acted in obedience. She acted and did not consider the fact that, you know what, she could risk her marriage. Because truly, she was just getting married and found with child will mean the end of her marriage. She did not consider that, you know what, she was actually a very poor woman. She was not worthy of God's use. She just let the Holy Spirit minister to her. The, 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 the angel Gabriel speak to her and accepted that. She had a faith that was based on the word of God because she understood it was the word of God. Our faith as children of God should be always based on the word of God. Psalm 119.93 Say, I will never forget your precepts, O Lord, for by them you preserve my life. By the precepts and by the word of God, he will preserve our lives. Amen. Make no mistakes. Christmas is not just a nice story, as I said to you. It's not just a nice, just a baby coming. It is the birth of our Savior. It is the bringing of salvation to us. And if you remember the time that you've accepted you individually, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it was like a new birth. I mean, that's what the Bible says. It's a new birth to us. All right, And you have been joyful and you have been excited and you have been thrilled and you have been amazed and you have been in awe of the king of kings that you have accepted in your life. Because indeed, Revelation 3.20 says that he was knocking for a while, but then you've decided to open the door and then he's entered. And that's why you were happy about. Now, taking that to Jesus Christ coming to us as a little baby, I think we should look at the fact that God has always been managing the expectation of people. God has always been managing this expectation, and that's why somehow along the line, since Isaiah foretold the fact that Messiah would be coming, many people had already switched their eyes off the ball. They were no longer looking because they've been waiting and waiting and waiting. But every single time, either through Micah, either through Isaiah, God was still reminding to his people that the Messiah is coming. You know what? He was managing expectation, but we had misaligned expectation. Why? Because we were looking for a Messiah coming as a political Messiah. We were looking as somebody would be coming and delivering the, the, the people from Romans, uh, you know, uh, authority. We were looking at somebody who will come and make war in the physical against, against people. But God has already said he will come and his kingdom will have no hand. But he never say how his kingdom will have no hand. You see, sometimes we always want to go through the how. We don't need to. You just need to trust God. And that's what Mary did. She just trusted God. Mary obeyed. She did not put any objections to God's will. She did not worry about her own life. She knew that he who had promised was faithful and able to do it. Today when we go towards Christmas, in the next couple of days, do we look at God as the one who has promised and is faithful? Or are we looking at what is under our Christmas tree? Sorry, can I repeat? What's the focus today? I was going down, downtown yesterday, and there is one of my neighbor, a young neighbor. He's been putting all the cigarette stuff you know, next to my gallery, so we had discussion before. But he's a nice, sorry, he's a nice fellow, really nice fellow. And you know what? I thank God for, he's always teaching me every single time on how to speak to people. 
And so I was going to turn, and I saw him walking, and I said, I will be a bit like, you know, back in Cameroon, you know, the taxi driver, pom, 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 pom. It's so noisy. And I say, well, in England, you don't do that. In fact, you own badly. The police step aside, sir. But I decided to be a bit like, you know, a villager back in Cameroon, pom, pom. And the guy looked at me, and he sees the car, and he recognized the car of his neighbor. I said, come in. I'll give you a lift. Then he sits in. Thankfully, I was listening to look one in my car. And he comes in. Where are you going? I'm going to work. Okay. What are you doing for Christmas? Oh, well, I don't know. I'm going to be around. I'm going to be around. I'm working. What? You're working on Christmas Day? Uh, yes. Have you got family? Have you got parents? Have you got friends? You know, I've become actually like, you know, inspector, kind of inquisitor. <laughs> That's none of my business, but yeah, it was just to make a, a communication with him. And he's like, uh, my mom, my dad, I don't know my dad. My mom, yeah. A May visitor. He gives you already, you know, some information that you need to know. And I told him, then look, for Christmas, he said, he said what about you? And I said, ah, that's why I was waiting. That's why I was waiting. <laughs> Infusion of hope. I said, well, you know what? For us, we look at it differently. So I'm better than thou. We look at it as Christ, our Savior, who comes into the world. And then the guy sits back on the seat, and I'm like, here we are. I should never have come in that car. <laughs> By the way, it was my worst car, and I never told her I picked him up. But he's like, okay. I said, don't worry, don't worry. I'm not going to preach at you. I knew what I needed to do. And I just tried to really quickly articulate to him on the way to go that, look, God loves us. And he said, yeah, my mom used to go to a Catholic church. I said, well, you need to decide for yourself what you want to do. But then God really gives hope. You know, you don't need to have a present. You need to be ensured that you can have eternity with him. And that's why we celebrate. Yes, I have a two-year-old son, so I will have to have a Christmas tree. And I will have to tell him before he's four that Santa does not exist. I will have to tell him that. Did I say something wrong? Santa does not exist. Shh. But then... I think what, what I was very grateful for God for was the fellow was then receptive. We had a five-minute discussion on the way to his work where I could have enough information to say, you know, on the 25th, I want you to come to my home because we'll have something. Because Christianity is about the actions that you do. Many people, as I said, will be lonely. Many people will have overextended themselves. Debt, credit cards, payments to make, you know, and will be worrying. Because it's always a time of the year where you think about your own life, isn't it? Many of us are sitting today and thinking, you know what? There are people that are happy I'm not. You know what? I'm not really, I, I don't feel that. I don't feel Christmas. We don't need to feel Christmas. <laughs> we need to remember we have God. We don't need to feel Christmas because Christmas is the commercial element of things. The birth of Jesus Christ is the message of salvation from God to me and you. And if you remember, then you are saved. And if you remember that you are saved by somebody who has given you hope that the world will come to a better standpoint, the world will come to a place where he will come back as a judge and will bring everybody in his kingdom for those who have accepted him, you need to remember that your place is actually in heaven, where the angels are praising God, where you yourself will be praising God one day without worrying about sickness, without worrying about bills, without worrying about relationships. 
but you will be there praising your God and your maker. That's the message of Christmas. Let's not be entangled in a religious discussion. You know, somebody said, you know what, I thank God that Jesus Christ came for us. Why do you do that? And somebody said, because there's so much violence in this world. There's so much despair and pain in this world. In fact, it's becoming worse. But then, if they were not even Christians, true Christians, who carry the cross of Jesus Christ upon them, and who are acting as light in a world falling in darkness, then it will even be a worse place than we are in at the moment. There are many of our brothers and sisters, even again as Joe was praying this morning, who are being persecuted for their faith, who will face Christmas in jail, not to talk about the hospital, but in jail, where they are restricted, who will be condemned for death. I remember in Abuja, Nigeria, a couple of Christmases ago, on the 25th of December, a church got blown up, okay, by terrorists. You are coming on the 25th to celebrate your Savior. You are being blown up and you lose your life. Right? This is the world in which we are living. But you know, we'll celebrate Christmas in our heart, first of all. We'll celebrate God in our heart daily. God wants you to have hope, not for Christmas for every single day that you walk with. And for you to have that hope, you remember, you need to remember the obedience of Mary. It is very important that you, you remember that Mary obeyed and forgot about herself. And it is important that you realize that this infusion of hope is needed because it restores that belief, because it makes you coming back to say, you know what, what is more important in life? Is it the way I feel or is it the way that I have a savior? Because the two can sometimes be different. The way I feel about a savior who really loves me is that I feel like a baby. I feel loved, loved, and I feel really hugged. And God wants to give you that hug on Christmas and every day. Finally, I just want to articulate, I think, two things that are very important around Christmas. By its significance, Again, it's not around the 25th of December, but around Jesus Christ and his birth. So I want to paraphrase um, Mr. Pritchard who said that Christ was born as a baby to bring us face to face with the truth of incarnation. Although he was fully and truly God from eternity, the Son of God took true humanity when he was conceived in Mary's womb. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was not born as half God or half man. He was fully God and fully man. The two natures together in one person. This is the central truth of Christianity, that God has entered human history. That God has entered our history to provide us with salvation. If it has not been born... Christ will not have died for our sin. That's how Christmas is important. If Jesus hadn't been born, he wouldn't have been able to die for our sin because he needed to identify himself as human beings, to go through the things that we are going and to be able to understand human nature even better, but certainly to sacrifice himself in front of humanity just to provide that hope again. It says that... The Jews do not believe even if they hold Jesus in high esteem. The Muslims do not believe this because they say he was a prophet sent by Allah. They say he is not the son of God. 
and you say the Son of God seems to be antagonistic to them. The Hindus do not believe this because they think that Christ is one God in a million of gods. This is what you and I believe, that the King of Kings was come for us individually. And the gospel, you know what? It is very, very simple. And maybe sometimes because it's so simple, sometimes the message that is the most simple is the most difficult to understand. It was true before. It was true around the birth of Jesus Christ because people could not read the signs and understand. And we're expecting God certainly not to come in a manger. And we're expecting a woman not to be able to carry the biggest task ever given by God to a human being. People had different expectations from what God was able to do. But what he did was simple. The story of the birth of Jesus Christ, somebody says, is just about a man and a woman, Joseph and Mary, and a baby, Jesus Christ. But then what is very important is that it touches every single one of us. It touches young women because of Mary. It touches young men because of Joseph. It touches children because of Jesus Christ. It touches rich men, rich people because of the wise men. They cannot bring gifts if they do not have anything to buy gift with. It touches humble and hard workers like the shepherds. It touches people of all walks of life. And this is our reality. Today, there are people of all walks of life who still don't know that Jesus Christ has come for them. So on this Christmas Day, yes, you've heard the messages before, and you know what it's all about. Today, God wants to tell you, go on the Christmas Day and be the tool I want you to be, to speak to your family, to speak to your friends, to speak to your relatives, that indeed, I am and I will be, and that they should come with him in his kingdom through Jesus Christ. That's probably what we need our Christmas to be centered on. And then certainly you can enjoy the lunches and the turkeys and everything else. But God, we want to say Christmas starts today in your heart and we continue every single day because the Savior that was born is everlasting and is alive forever. Amen. Shall we pray? Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.